Hey, welcome to the 162nd episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by Blake Robin and Amanda O'Connor. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Warren Kaplan, and today we have filmmaker Zara Hayes on the show. She is an accomplished documentary filmmaker. Out of the UK, she's had documentary work on Netflix with BBC. She's been doing it forever. She did a documentary on people in Bangladesh and Rwanda and all over. You think of a documentary that you would make. <laughs> Hard-hitting documentary. And done it. In a surprise twist, she's uh, directed the new comedy Palms about uh, a bunch of women of a certain age who decide to band together and form a uh, cheerleading squad in their retirement home. Yeah, and it's Palms, P-O-M-S, as in Palms pom-poms but it's um inspired by real events this is a real thing there are a lot of uh kind of um you know retiree cheerleading teams and zara has uh, constructed a movie around this yeah like her cast is like insane and she tells us how she got them diane keaton Rhea perlman pam greer it's so long it's incredible zara also has an awesome dp for her movie tim Orr shot it he shot uh, Eastbound and Down, Sex Drive, Pineapple Express, Choke, Year of the Dog, Z for Zachariah. Oh my goodness. She's got a really awesome team behind this movie and she tells us all about it. But we really dive into everything, like how you get actors attached, how as a first time director, you, you know, get respected by your cast and crew. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because we talk all the time about how your life experiences inform your craft and process as a filmmaker and I think it's especially interesting when your background uh, is literally filmmaking but in a slightly different way in this case documentary and how you apply it to a traditional narrative and it's you know it's similar in more ways than you'd realize and also unique in ways that um, are hard to predict well yeah so it's a it's a really fun talk and it's really cool check out palms movie hashtag palms movie was the recommended way to find out about it it's in theaters friday may 10th uh and it's an amazing movie for mother's day yeah go take your mom to see it it's funny and it's emotional and it's crazy and the ending will shock you potentially (laughs) we'll see anyway before we get into the episode we want to talk about one quick thing and that is our patreon if you check out patreon.com slash just shoot it pod you can learn all about how you can support us and we have just started a new incentive to make supporting us even more rewarding yeah so now at the ten dollar level you get your very own just shoot it hat it's that simple we mail you a cool baseball cap you can wear on set it says just shoot it a podcast which we think is pretty funny it's in like the nike logo font like just do it just shoot it you know it's a little little clever a little fun um but it it is a thing that we're super excited about we worked super hard on getting them out to people and so 10 bucks a month you can go ahead and get yourself a just shoot it if you wear it on set and point at it people will start shooting things i bet that these caps will make you come in an hour under budget all the time he'll just shoot so much faster people just don't realize oh we should be rolling the patreon investment you'll more than make up for in time saved on set Mm -hmm. by people feeling pressured to just shoot things yeah arts the actor's not here forget it who cares just shoot it action um well thanks a lot everyone check it out patreon.com slash just shoot it pod and help us out if you can and one final thing before we get into talking to zara 
This is May. You guys know what that means. That's right. We've, we've been teasing it out. Uh, our friends have been teasing it out as well. We are in a competition to get the most iTunes reviews. It's the first to 25 is, is the first benchmark. Uh, but we are in a race between Light the Fuse, Making Movies is Hard, and Respect the Process. All great podcasts, but we are in a competition to get 25 new iTunes reviews as fast as possible. So you've got to help us out. I know you've been thinking about giving us an iTunes review. Now is the time to help out because uh, if we lose this gentleman's bet, it will not only be humiliating, but also we'll have to read their ad copy on our show. If I was a listener and I had like a friend that listened to the show, I would try to get 24 reviews for our podcast and another podcast. And then at the exact same second, I would leave the 25th review with my friend just a bonus. <laughs> um, I do have multiple friends who like to be the person who puts the Kickstarter over their goal. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, dude, that is so uncool. <laughs> like, just just go for it, man. Just submit the money. Well, I think we've given you enough tasks. Leave us an iTunes review. Go to our Patreon. Get a hat. Wear a hat. Tell your friends about it. Just shoot it. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. Don't do any of that. Just drive around and listen to this podcast. And Yeah think about doing one of these things later but you know you never will let zara's uh incredible insight and experience and um thoughtfulness just seep into your brain and make you a better filmmaker and here we go we're recording with zara hayes hi zara welcome you've got a new film called palms do you want to give us just a quick you know little summary of um of your film so palms is is a film about a woman played by diane keaton who at the beginning of the movie decides to move herself from the city into a retirement community in Georgia and ends up setting up a cheerleading team for older women. <laughs> so she she goes in there with the intention of kind of leaving everything behind and giving up and she ends up doing the biggest thing she's ever done in her life and the kind of craziest thing, aided by her next door neighbor played by Jackie Weaver mm-hmm. who refuses to let her kind of retreat into her shell and kind of makes her take part in things at the community and the two of them together end up setting up this the first sort of senior cheerleading team and this is based on a true story as well right so or no no the story isn't true but the idea the fact that this happens is true so oh, what happened what happened was i came across the fact that Across America, there are mm-hmm. a number of cheerleading right. groups. Inspired by true events. True events, yeah, inspired <laughs> by, yeah, totally. And there are just a number of these teams, and I kind of find it, I find it completely fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, And who else is in the film? It's a ton of recognizable faces. Oh, God, I mean, it's, yeah, we're so lucky. We've got um, Diane Keaton, Jackie sure. Weaver is the, the two leads, and then we have um, Pam Greer, mm-hmm. Rhea Palm, sure. yeah. <laughs> Celia Weston, Phyllis Somerville. And there's one other name I'm trying to remember. Alicia Bo, who Maybe, plays who, the young, the, there's a young storyline. Oh, great. And um, that's kind of uh, really led by Alicia Bo, who's kind of a wonderful up and coming actress. And um, Charlie Tehan, mm-hmm. um, who you might know from Ozark. Well, that's so exciting. Uh, and I think also we were talking off the mic, you have a background in uh, documentary filmmaking. Right? I do. So you kind of started in that world and then transitioned into narrative. Wait, is this your first narrative? This is my first narrative, yeah. yeah. This have, is it. Have you done short narrative stuff before? No. Oh, really? No. No, oh, wow. no, no. No, this is That's it. That's crazy. And you, but you directed 
I read like the Battle of the Sexes, the documentary I that did. the movie is based on. Mm-hmm. And so were you involved in the Emma Stone movie? We weren't involved in it, basically. But the, um, so obviously that's the story, that's Billie Jean King's story. And um, Danny Boyle, another Brit, was came to our premiere in, in London and kind of loved the film and was talking to Billie Jean King about about making a mm-hmm. movie out of it. And, and they sort of took it from there. Um, oh, wow. we, we weren't involved in a kind of story consultant sort of way, but it was, yeah, that was the, how it all came about. I mean, it's such a, a story that lends itself to being told as a movie because three sure. acts and it's a sports story and it's sure. kind of got everything. Wait, can I jump straight into the juicy stuff? Uh, were you like not annoyed that they used the exact same title that you used for your uh, documentary? To be perfectly <laughs> to be perfectly honest, yes, we were. But my, my take on it, you know, ultimately it, Billie Jean King was it's her life story right right. we did things like I spent two weeks at the um, tennis museum in La Jolla going through archives (laughs) La Jolla are La Jolla yeah going through I mean literally like two weeks in a dusty room going through old clippings of newspaper reports and very Kubrick (laughs) and speaking to like Bobby Riggs who was obviously the, the the antagonist the guy um his son and his the guy who'd been his coach and really like mining them and researching mm-hmm. that in a way that had never been done before. So we did a lot of like original research, mm-hmm. including, yeah, uncovering film that had never been seen before of like a, a, the match that he had with Margaret Court and stuff. So yeah, no, we were definitely, uh, really you diff- dug deep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, it was deep diving yeah. into that story. Yeah. I wonder which one you should watch first. Oh, that's interesting. Because like, mm. I feel like, a lot of I'm times you want to see the documentary <laughs> after, right? Because you're like, I wonder which you parts of that were true sure, or not that's true. true. That's yeah. interesting. That's interesting. Um, maybe maybe that would be the better way to do it. And it's so hard for me to say, but I, I definitely feel like they leaned more into, as you would do, it creating a drama, like things that we that didn't exist on film, but about her relationship. Um, the fact that she was kind of at the time like having a relationship with a woman behind her husband's mm-hmm. back and that became like the big the big storyline but for us we kept we we mentioned that but we like absolutely always knew that our focus was that she was going to be a sporting heroine that mm-hmm. was the kind of like it was a sports movie mm-hmm. right. um, and that's kind of the way we and everything was about getting that trophy at the end well yeah. it's funny because like as a documentary you are like looking at kind of regular narrative movie tropes to like guide the totally. structure of your documentary. But as a regular movie, you're trying to not, you're trying to break <laughs> those tropes, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Which is really interesting. Well, I find that completely fascinating. And actually there's something with Palms that um, I, this, this crossover between what's true, what feels true, mm-hmm. what has the ring of emotional truth, but actually isn't true and what is true, but feels untrue fascinates me and there's a poms is not based on on a true story but there is one anecdote in there that comes from truth which is um when i went to meet some of these senior cheerleaders and talk to them there was a woman who who i met who was on a team where a woman had been uh banned from joining the team by her husband and then and the husband said you'll join that team over my dead body and that he then died (laughs) and um it, it was a running joke with, with them right. all that she was killed. poisoned. Yeah, that she <laughs> bumped him off, as we'd say in England. And and I found that it's so ridiculously funny, but also the interesting thing is it's they like made it into all the trailers for Palms sure, and everything. Yeah. And it's become one of those kind of, you know, it's become the joke that everybody loves. But a couple of people, if 
have said to me, that you know, that feels is that too far? Like that feels a bit sure. unreal. And that's the one thing that's in the, the script thing. that's the truth. <laughs> and and it's just so interesting to me that maybe it has sometimes you know things that that actually did happen feel so incredible that they they can't they can't feel real. I'm curious because you mentioned kind of uh, researching palms a little bit. Do you feel like your background as a documentarian informed the way that you approached yeah. research in general? I, I think so. I mean, it's so hard for me to imagine not sure. approaching things through the lens of talking to people. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Because that's just what I do and that's what I've done and that's how I learn everything and I've mm-hmm. do- that's how I've operated. And, and I feel like every story that I'm... I mean, I've been interested in and in writing and thinking about quote-unquote fictional stories um, for a long time, but it's like I can't disassociate how you um, the process from real life and how you like abstract from talking mm-hmm. to people and everyone I ever talk to or meet is I find something in sure. that, that I kind of take or that sounds kind of horrible I don't mean it like that but, sure, but, you but internalize. I, I, yeah, I internalize souls. I steal people's <laughs> stories and store them for the future no I just I, I feel like if I ever want to know I can't I personally but I know this totally works for people um, because I know many writers who who completely work in a locked off kind of box, and they it's all through imagination. But for me, a conversation with a real human being who has some idiosyncratic life experiences, as we all do, um, it is just so inspiring and enlightening. And that's kind of how I get, you know, that's how I get excited. On a practical level, how do you approach it? Do you do you have like a um... A scheduled like are you regimented in terms of like oh I'm working on this movie I'm gonna tour the countryside and go to all these different homes and things like that or no no not at all no partly through practicalities but I've you know my background I work my way up in sort of the um the tv world really in in the UK and you can get you know I got paid to be a development researcher (laughs) to find stories and to um pitch them to broadcasters and networks uh for documentaries so I guess that was my training ground in sort of um the art of the email spam or the figuring out someone's email address mm-hmm. which I still to this day I kind of yeah. you know is I, it first name dot last name at gmail.com well or is it the hyphen is it the first initial dot and in fact someone emailed me today with a script and uh, was like oh I'm, I'm gonna send this to your agent but I just like, I hope you don't mind my kind of chutzpah for kind of sending it to, mm-hmm. to you directly and I was like yes I wrote immediately back to him. I was like, like I, I hate your script, but good job. <laughs> I just kind of like respect the kind of, sure. because that's, that's what I do to people. Like I literally, I literally just email them out of the blue or I get their phone number and call them. Um, and that's kind of how I've ever done it. And then in terms of the, pr- the process, it really depends on how much time, how much availability, you know, what else I'm doing. If I can put the, you know, I definitely will get on a plane or like, um, you know, I'll, I'll, if I think it's helpful and I've got the c- cash, <laughs> I'll sure. jump on a plane and kind of <laughs> go and meet them because there's nothing better than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that sort of sense, I, I, waiting around for people's permission to do that kind of thing and is kind of frustrating to me because I feel like that's the only way things happen. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes we say that that's what this podcast is about. Just doing it, yeah, right? Yeah. Of course, yeah. Um, no, absolutely. Well, I have a million questions for you, but I just read this book about this guy that tried to interview all these various people, and 
he talks a lot about like what his cold email is, like how to send an email that will get responses. Oh, I and, love this. And I'm curious to know what yours is. Because if you're <laughs> guessing emails and you're emailing like Margaret Thatcher's son or something, uh, I don't know if she okay, has a son. Okay, here's the classic what one. Do you, what do you write? There are so many techniques, but the, I, one of my favorite ones is that in the subject line, you do re colon <laughs> like something because if you just say isn't that like classic spam re your misshipment <laughs> but if it's a name that looks like a you know people right. would generally hey zara yeah <laughs> re uh story te- re documentary or re film proposal or whatever oh, sure i think i think it kind of um that has that has worked for me for sure it depends who you're writing to, that obviously. is a good move though no it's good it's because that- the subject line is the most important right Okay, totally. and then you're, do you write Dear um, First Hugh name. Grant or do you dear say... Dear Hugh. <laughs> dear, dear. Just Dear Hugh. I would, yeah. I wouldn't say Mr. Grant or anything like but that. But D-E-A-R, right? You're not like, hey, Hugh, or <laughs> no. what's up? Because I think being respect... Like, I like. I think the line between like, hey, I'm being quite cheeky here, but also listen to me. Mm-hmm. That That's the kind of fine line to, to tread, isn't it? And um, you definitely like keep it short and sweet. My thing is always... I, in fact, I did it last week. <laughs> to someone I watched a documentary and I um there was a character in the documentary who I just thought was extraordinary young woman who would make a great movie like I I just was it was she was one of like eight stories in the documentary but it was a standout story to me so I figured out her email I like figured out where she was where she's studying now because Mm -hmm. it was not creepy (laughs) yeah (laughs) It is sounding like I'm stalking people no, now, no, now no. that I'm talking about You're it. You're going for it though, no. And then I and then you and then I emailed her and the the email is very kind of polite and but kind of clear, you know, I'm a filmmaker. I I saw this documentary. I think your story is incredible. I'd love to talk further. Can we can we hop on the phone because you have to say enough to intrigue them but not so much that it's kind of like it sounds either stalkerish and weird. But or, when you say I'm a filmmaker, do you like make a hyperlink out of that and have it go to your to IMDb your page or, or something? Anything. No, I don't. Do you say actually. I have a movie that is coming no, out? Or I, I just worked with Diane Keaton. You don't, because how do they know you're not just like some film student? Hmm. I guess people Google people. And I think also if someone's willing, what I kind of like learn, in, not that I'm, you know, I'm still very much learning, but the thing that I notice is that if someone's ready to tell their story, this is, we're talking now about real people's actual stories. That's different from, hey, you've got a really interesting job. Can I talk to you mm-hmm. for background research for something? Right, but I, right. if we're talking, like with this girl who I emailed, I, I was thinking like she could be the basis of a movie. And um, if, they're, if someone's in a place in their life where they're apt to tell their story, they don't really, um, I don't think people are that discerning yeah. about like, like, I love being in movies. That sounds yeah, fun. Yeah, like, yeah. and then of course, anyone who is discerning will Google you and find out that you actually have got an IMDb profile and you're not a complete, uh, you know, you're not just completely chancing it. Um, but that's been, my thing is getting someone on the phone or speaking to them or seeing them mm-hmm. is so much more effective than anything you can do over email because you just get lost. And so my mission is always to try and speak to a human being. And if you wanted to like talk to Steven Spielberg or Hugh Grant or the CEO of some so, big eBay or something, would you do the same thing? So yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Although I might drop some 
you know, some credit. little, little so I sprinkle some credits in, in there at that point. Because, you know, it depends what someone's going to be, um, you know, swayed by. And if someone's got, like, layers of people to get through. But again, yeah. I would always try and get that person's email address rather than um, people on their way to them. Because I think that there are so many blockers, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's, what, I mean, it has, like, I... I'm not, I'm definitely not, I have friends who kind of have a background in invest, investigative journalism mm-hmm. and that those people are on another level in terms of like what they're prepared to do to kind of get to someone. But with me, it's just like if you make a direct human contact mm-hmm. and you're sincere and you can show that your interest is sincere, I think it goes a long way. Yeah. Like I got an email, another email this week, like, and the person was like, oh, I really like all your work and was quoting like all the th- things that they'd supposedly watched him and he got like three of the titles wrong. <laughs> and I was just like, mm, was it you Matt? clearly <laughs> haven't <laughs> then. Yeah. I can't wait for, I love palm trees, but this movie is going to be perfect for <laughs> so me. So one, the palm d'or. Yeah. Palm d'or. It's um, just like, yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I just think, I find that exciting though. I find speaking to people, it's always going to turn something up and, and if someone's just kind of angry and doesn't want to talk to anyone, they're not going to be sway. And, and the thing is, obviously, you could then be, in, there's a different type of approach, which is, hey, I'm working with like X film company and we've got a load of money to throw at you. Coming from a documentary background, that's not really my... Right, but you might say I'm working for BBC or something, right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Or I have worked with the BBC and I'm thinking this could be interesting for them but in terms of like trying to sort of offer people I think anyone who's motivated in, in initially in the money is mm-hmm. right. suspicious Not a good person. right it's suspicious it's, well sure. do you think you need to present something to them like this is what you're like you're going to get this out of it do you want to be a part of this thing or do you present it more as like hey I need this thing from you oh my god that's interesting um because I think when you're telling someone's story um again, especially in documentary, but even with um, stuff that's kind of loosely based on, you have to be, I think, and this again comes from my background of, in the UK, you don't pay people to be in documentaries. Over here, there's a huge culture of paying people. Really? Yeah. Is that, did you know about that, Matt? I know that there was like a big controversy with the two fire festival documentaries. Yes, yes, right? like that absolutely. One of the main guys got paid like the a Jerry ton of money. Guy? Yeah, no, not, so, not the Jerry guys, the the guy who was actually the the, the founder the of the guy that organized the festival yeah, yeah yeah exactly i think documentary there's a real value to like giving giving platform for testimony and it doesn't mm-hmm. always have to be you don't always have to have the the counter argument because in this world you know there are journalistic films have to kind of have that on the on the one hand on the other hand but i think there's a, where documentary really shines is like giving personal testimony kind of mm-hmm. elevating that to kind of film you know yeah. to cinema and and I think that's what it does but it's re- as a result it's like really disturbing but that um those people were not paid a cent for being part of that process and it was a UK um director and he talked I heard an interview with him where he talked about that and I kind of thought there is something about um the culture or the background in, in having grown up in that world of kind of the UK documentary scene where it is such a taboo to even think about paying a contributor. And then you think, well, actually someone's giving you the most, like they're giving you, on, on the other hand, you know, it's all people have is their story and they should be, you know, compensated for that. But it muddies things. And, 
all of this to say that I think if, if someone's from the outset, their interest has to be in trusting you to tell that story. And so it's not like, hey, I need this. Like it's it's a transaction. I think both people get something out of being in a film um, and making a film. Clearly the person making the film gets something out of it. And I always ask myself that, especially with documentaries. It's like, why... Why am I doing this, and what does what does the other person get out of it? Like, what are they? What is it giving to them? You know, and is it worth it for them? Because it can be. But do you think that, like, while you're while they're admitting they murdered someone on camera or whatever? You're yeah, like... I do actually. I made a documentary about a 15 year old boy who and a 12 year old boy who shot and killed the stepfather of the 15 year old, and I interviewed them both in prison, and um, it, you know, that is the most well, what is the justification here? Like, what are you, you know, what are you doing? (laughs) And have you ever not, you're like, this is like amazing for the documentary, but bad for... For the person. I have actually, yeah. I've I've kind of, um, or for for other reasons, for kind of, you know, the message overall that you kind of want to give. Um, I wouldn't feel, I would feel it's okay to edit something that is goes against the overall message that you are trying to put in across through the through the film because you know the idea that documentary is this pure <laughs> thing sure, is this pure journalism right yeah, it? you're, you're, you're storytelling storytelling yeah. absolutely and so no I, I feel very kind of I thought about that stuff a lot and I think you have to especially when you're putting three people especially when the subject matter is darker you know mm-hmm. and I've made my fair share of darker things which is why poms is such a kind of a it looks like a bit of a kind of an anomaly or a left turn in my career because it's you know I've made documentaries about um like the Rana Plaza tragedy in Bangladesh which is like the second worst industrial disaster in the entire history of the world and I interviewed survivors of that and the most horrific horrendous experiences that people have had and then now I'm making a cheerleading comedy sure right well I do I do have like a I think a good segue to the comedy the cheerleading comedy which is you know we heard about how you got how you get various people to be in your documentaries <laughs> but what do you cold email you know d keaton at ah. uh, hotmail.com do you know the truth i mean and this is where there's a lot of problems with our industry and it's completely crazy and um irrational and luck is such a major part of it and i can't it's so hard to imagine like how you see a career path and all of that stuff but this is an example where the system just has worked like it's just happened it's worked mm-hmm. literally we it went through the agencies it went through oh, wow. her agent she read it i mean it's it's sort of okay what did you send the agent what is in the agent? The script. I mean, literally, I mean, well, I think I wrote a, actually, no. So I think your I, agent sent her agent. Are you at the same agency? Uh, we are now, but I wasn't at the time. I wasn't with WME then because they're, um, I didn't have US reps at that point. I was just in the UK. And um, this is what I'm saying. It's like, it's an extraordinary sort of, it seems when I used to hear people say that kind of thing, it, um, Q and A's. I'd be like, oh, that doesn't yeah. really happen. That's yeah. bullshit. Like, I'm gonna keep someone knew out someone emails. who knew someone, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. but genuinely, like we had, um, we had well, it financed before she was attached, so they mm-hmm. could say this is a real yeah. offer. Well, that's a big that's deal. That's a huge thing, obviously, because people's biggest issue is wasting people like her time. Mm-hmm. 
Right. She clearly can't read everything that's being sent. And um, so there was a kind of like the company that we were working with had committed to financing the movie and it was going to happen. And um, so, and it wasn't contingent on on casting. No, this IMDb is the amazing meter thing. number of your. Let's back up. Let's let's so, start a little bit earlier. This is why yeah, this yeah. film story is kind of like I'm very aware of how it's the kind of um, it, it's extraordinary, and and I don't know if this will ever happen to me again. Sure. Well, the well, trick is you only need it to happen the first time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like have an incredible career creating great documentaries that then get turned into feature films, yeah. right? And then and, turn your and own. then whoop! It just fell into your lap after a I, decade of work. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's. I'm not suggesting yeah. that. Like, it's not like I. I didn't like. I, we, it, it's been every stage. It's, it feels like a wading through treacle, you sure. know. But it, there are aspects of the story of how it came to be that are just kind of there. It, it's very smooth. Like mm-hmm. even the financing happened within a very short space of time. We had multiple offers of finance. And we went. We chose who financed it. Incredible. So, so how did that happen? So you've got the script, right? E one financed it, right? It was actually a company called Sierra Affinity who mm-hmm. got bought by E one recently. So now it's oh. an E one film. But it was a. Sm- there were a company who um, they're a sales agent basically based mm-hmm. in LA, and they have kind of like they had an interesting place in the market in that they were doing the kind of five to fifteen million dollar films and finding a way to sell wow. them through foreign sales and kind of like make the numbers make sense. In the way that A24 have very clearly taken a piece of the pie that was not being like looked at by other people, I think they did something quite unique um, in that they were selling in, uh, uh, movies. They, they had a long-standing business in selling movies internationally, so they knew what kind of the appetites were, and they were very honed in terms of the commercial, like right. the market for things. And, and then, they so, felt like there was a market for comedy. Well, they started. Yeah. Well, they started financing films, and the and the f- first film they were majorly involved in, from a financing point of view, was Atomic Blonde. Uh-huh. Um, oh, yeah. And they and they did That's very a, well at straight that. up genre film, though. Right? Straight up, yeah, exactly. But then with Palms, this was the first film that they'd offered to fully entirely finance. And they felt they knew from the on the basis of the concept and the script. But I would say even more than the script, the con- honestly, the concept. This is me interpreting this. I have clearly am not a sales agent, and I've never been to sure. a market. But it makes intuitive sense, right? All right. No, it's, it's like... finance out of AFM, right? No, 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 no. They financed it internationally. Oh, this it's sold at AFM, and it's sold domestically at AFM. I see. Okay. Once it had been made, so they basically said. You know, these people are experts in knowing what they can and can't sell at a market. And it was the biggest sale at AFM. Right? It was, yeah. And and they basically go, okay, this concept, if we can get some, mm-hmm. if we can get good people in it, which I'm sure we can because the script is which good. Which is crazy because you got it financed before, before Diane Keaton. Th- absolutely. Anyone else in the cast? No. Yeah. So, but-, it was, but I'm sure it was based on you too, right? Well, I'd love to think so. I mean, they wouldn't. Love, I mean, you don't just finance a film without like believing I, in the director. They believed in me. I know it's. I, was I there ever what, a talk of a different director? I couldn't. I, no, because I wouldn't. This is the thing that I did that was smart. Like, I, it wouldn't have. It couldn't happen without me. Um, and did you write it? I co-wrote it. So I, I had the. It was my idea. I had this story, and then I found a screenwriter who I work with because mm-hmm. I, I hadn't written a produced script obviously before. But I, um, they couldn't have the 
the the idea if I weren't doing it. So, no, I think they they they'd seen my previous work and they believed in me and they thought they could finance it at a level where the risk was they mm-hmm. they were comfortable with the risk. Like they they from the basis of the knowing the market and knowing that this kind of clearly they thought the script was good enough and they knew that they could sell the idea with the right kind of package and that they could finance it to to make it make sense and we started off from that point and then it did slightly grow and it got bigger obviously as we got you know then we did get the kind of you do your list don't you and then it's like diane keaton is obviously number one and then you get her and that's when it kind of wait so so sorry just for our listeners that have never done this before first of all afm is the american film market right yes so that's that's a market. Um, but before, before you finished the movie when you sold it. So. Absolutely. So it, was, it had been financed. So what happens is, and again, caveat, I'm not in film finance, but I've seen it close enough now that I understand, um, I think. Basically what they do is they take the package. Um, and what, what do you mean by the package? So the idea, the script, the director any talent that are attached to it. And, and there's no life rights or anything attached no. to this idea. No, there's no life rights. Total because fiction. It, it's total fiction. And, you know, it's inspired by a true story. <laughs> um, but it's complete fiction. And they take it to Cannes, Berlin, mm-hmm. the, the major markets where movies sell as ideas. And they, they say to distributors in, uh, in certain countries... Mm-hmm. Hey uh, Germany, would you be interested in a year's time, ta- two years time, in having a movie uh, about a senior citizen cheerleading squad? Oh yeah, that sounds interesting. What would you pay? They have a negotiation. They do a deal in principle of like, if you make that film, this is what I'll buy it for, mm-hmm. and they cobble together through. And do they bring a poster of the movie? Or they did something a list of really cool. Yeah, they did. They did. They absolutely did. They they do something actually amazingly cool. They make these little videos of like the director talking about it and if there's any talent they do so they they um did Aaron Sorkin's directorial debut and they had like Jessica Chastain talking about why she wanted to do the film (laughs) and if you show anyone that right it's like how much you want to pay no but it's like imagine you know I'd be if I were a kind of distributor in Sure. Iceland, and I saw yeah. it's okay. It's real. These were a real company. They've done it many times before. Were they walking and talking? That's <laughs> right. The Sorry. <laughs> well, I guess um, that you have this idea, and maybe this company is like, okay, we'll make this movie for four million dollars. But if you get someone that's on this list of fifty actresses, then we will make it for seven million dollars. Like that, there is. But if it's these actors, then we'll make it for five million. I- a hundred percent. The whole world of foreign sales is predicated on mm-hmm. the numbers that actors bring to foreign sales. So that is the entire business. And and the people who, who work in this are incredibly smart, strategic, and kind of, you know, you can say a name of an actor to <laughs> them and they'll say, worth. we could give you that at, I could, I could finance that for you at five million. Right. I could make that work. Yeah, yeah, they're but, like poker players. Like they just have the stats in their heads. Yeah. But what was special about your situation, which I know, Matt, you've gone through this, and I've gone, I've had things set up where it's like, if we get one of these actors, the movie goes, and we don't get the actor, and the movie doesn't go. Um, but you had that. No matter what, your movie is going to go. Now it can only get bigger yes. and better. Yes, but I we mean, have a shoot date. Clearly, they had, they would have in the contract had some sort of out for it. 
you know, but there, it was a commitment to make the film. And that was very important to the producers, obviously, because you don't just want to cut. Anyone would say, great, if you get an A-list, then yeah. actor, then I'll, I'll, I'll finance it. But the, what was special about the offer was that they, they wanted to make the movie. Right. And they, they were like, we'll, we'll make this work. And they were confident that we could attract some people who, you know, I think everyone's been amazed at who we didn't end up attracting, frankly. But I think that... Um, they felt confident enough in the concept and the script mm-hmm. that, the, and hopefully, the, you know, the director, that they felt like, okay, let's let's do this, let's make this. We'll, you know, we'll we'll expand or contract the budget depending on what happens, you know. Um, so from that point of view, I hadn't quite understood before or appreciated how much of the film business is is driven by foreign sales, mm-hmm. um, and then the domestic sale becomes a whole other thing and what you know what happens in America and it's and an American movie right completely okay so let's go back to the you cut your you contact her agent you say here's the script with the movie's greenlit already we would love for her her to consider it and then does she say okay I want to meet no. the director yeah she says she wants to meet you clearly she where'd this, you guys meet this amazingly again this is Diane is such her an house. extraordinary unique person no in a coffee shop in Jack Santa Nicholson's Monica house. Oh. Oh, oh, that's good. Which coffee shop? I can't remember the name oh. of it, but it's like I just it's, it's, a hipster, to have great it's a hipster. It's a hipster coffee shop. Sure. Don't, yeah. don't worry, yeah, it's yeah, very yeah. cool. Yeah. But it was just like uh, the 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 best thing about it was that my experience with Diane is that um, she operates in a way that is completely in sync with mine. In that, the first email I got was from her agent saying, "Do you mind if I?" pass on your email like, do you mind if Diane contacts you she's got a few questions and right, thoughts right. cut out the middleman absolutely and, it's and such I, an agent move right? and, and I said of course not like, <laughs> I, I'm like oh yeah sure I don't mind if she and then from that moment it's like I get the email it's the most detailed thoughtful five pages of like thoughts and notes I'd like to meet and discuss these if you think that this is something that you're interested in discussing you know, these are my issues with it. This is what I love about it. Um, these are some, you know, random musings I have about the subject matter. Um, can we meet? And That's so cool. then and it we'll, was... we'll put that email on our website. com. <laughs> but that, so that's what was it. And I think, again, that is... I think that's pretty rare and unique in mm-hmm. the way she operates. It's just completely direct. And, you know, she's a very much like her own stylist her own curator her own she does her own stuff and um she was she's been from that moment just a kind of creative partner like in the true and in a completely non-bullshit way I'm saying that like she has been a force in the project she's like and when I met her I she was absolutely not committed to doing it you know she wanted to watch all my documentaries. She watched them all. She gave me feedback on them all. Are you serious? Wait, how many... How, you, I mean, I you sent made her like, links. You made like... Oh, she watched a, them over all. Over a dozen, right? Oh, yeah, she watched like the 15-minute piece that I made for the Guardian newspaper about the... <laughs> I mean, she she really does her homework. And she gave me like, you know, brutally honest thoughts and feedback on all of them. She's like, That's the lighting really- will be better on me, right? Yeah. <laughs> Then this so, Bangladesh lady. She honestly, it's just, you know, so she she kind of was not going to sign up to something where she didn't. That's not who she is. You know, she wasn't just going to be like, yeah, I love the idea and I love the script. I'll do it. She wanted to know who she was getting into business with. And, um, and then so after that meeting, which was slightly surreal, 
coffee shop experience sure. with Diane Keaton. <laughs> she, she then, you know, I kind of knew after that meeting that she would, well, I hoped. But you, I, have, you have a sense, though. You have a sense yeah. because she was so invested. I don't think you send a... I don't think you spend so much time at her level of where she's at in her career thinking about a script and, and investigating the people involved in it if you're not kind of into the idea. Wait, can I ask one more question, which you don't have to answer? But when you send it to her agent, you know that if Diane says yes to the movie, it's, it's the happening. budget is a, is a different level. Uh-huh. So when you send it her the, the script, do you also send an offer that takes into account this bigger budget? Oh, that's a really good question. I, I'm pretty sure they didn't send in an offer with the first because that that went through the casting director. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the sort of the initial approach kind of came through the official channels, but I don't think they. There's an assumption that if you're at that mm-hmm. level, there'll be a conversation that will be grown up about it. I think it's like who's talking to who, right? In terms of, this was a reputable company with a brilliant casting director sending a, a bona fide kind of movie offer star. Yeah, yeah to a, a real actual movie like these are people who've all worked with each other they all know each other i'm the kind of random wild card in the process but i'm not saying hey come you know this is what i'll pay you to be in my movie or whatever you know it's sort of like there's an understanding that this business kind of there are levels and and that that's like a problem for later if she wants to do it clearly no one's going to try and lowball you know, it, it's sort of... Well, but there's a difference. It's not... I think if you're making a movie for like $2 million or something, then right. and you offer her $200,000, right? Like 10% of the budget, it's not, that's not an offensive offer, but for her... I well, so I, I was attached to do this movie and it starred this older character and we were trying to get like a Tommy Lee Jones or Jeff Bridges or Jack Nichols, someone like that to read it. And... It, what we ran into is like when you are an Oscar winner, you're in your 70s or 80s mm-hmm. or whatever, and someone is like, hey, will you come with me for a month to Michigan to shoot this film? Like, it, it's going to take, you know, an insane script, a, an amazing director, or a lot of money to to just say to this person, I mean, clearly Dan to, to Keaton doesn't need the reading. money yes. to survive. Absolutely, but I think that that's where I think that's where the idea comes into its own because, um, you know, all the roles for and Diane is obviously one of the actors of her generation who is working often and clearly, right. you know, is is irregularly in movies. But I would say that something that she feels and is true if you just look at the things that she's done, you know, you're always someone's mother, you're someone's grandmother. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie isn't really about you like it's about um, some people in their yeah, 40s right, right. and you are the kind of and that's fine yeah, and valid but yeah that's valid or there's the other trope which is the kind of um, seniors finding love sure right which is a whole other or criminals robbing a bank I feel like I see that yes a lot. <laughs> that's a new one that I'm okay that's with that's the sort actually. of mischievous kind one. of like, yeah. like having yeah. fun yeah. but I think that um, I but think star, that star of the cheerleading team is rare so yeah. you can imagine you can imagine like I don't know and I'm completely fantasizing here but you can imagine that like weekly call with your agent where it's like what's come in and yeah you're just like, oh, yawn, yawn, yawn. Like another, another fabulous right. kitchen for me to stand yeah. in. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. Like, oh, I cannot. Oh, great. So that's yeah. another vehicle for that 
A-list 40 odd year old right. actress and I'm the kind of I'm the get I get to be her mother or right. you know right. Right. and then it's like what hang on what something about set, set I would set up a cheerleading team yeah. <laughs> I've never Diane's never really danced before that right. you know it's not her thing and and again it's just like sometimes something chimes with someone and mm-hmm. you've hit something which is just like something about that appealed enough to her to go I want to read that mm-hmm. you know let me let's have a look and then once once you're actually with that person all of those conversations about what you're offering and then it's about you know especially with someone who is so much their own I think she is really an artist like I wouldn't I don't say that about many people but I do think she's still despite you know all the things that she's achieved and all the um she's been at the kind of cold cold face of commercial cinema right Mm -hmm. in a way like for decades but she but she kind of still has the ability to kind of put all that aside and just go, what is this? You know, for look at it on its own yeah. terms, which I think is also probably, she's very rare in that sense, but I don't think everyone who's at that level of the game is like that either. Yeah, no, there's definitely some actors that have been around for a while that are like phoning it in for the right. paycheck. You know, they'll do, like, I'll do anything for $50,000 yeah, a day. if you pay me. And you know, frankly, you know, when we were talking about casting, like in the initial conversations, those things are known, right? And mm-hmm. people know who those people are. I want to talk a little bit about actually your thought process. So you've got Diane Keaton in this, the, the rest of this entire awesome cast. And you've got a background in documentary. So you're stepping on, like, how do you prepare to, to, do that. to direct performances, yeah. you know? With an artist, with a, a force, you know, with someone right. who knows their I think way it's around easy, the set, right? If you're, you're just like, I don't feel like that's real. Just be real, right? <laughs> Can you do that better, please? Yeah. Um, wh- I want the truth, you, Diane. But really, how did you prepare? Like, what did you think about, and what okay. what panned out well, and what maybe would you would I change? change? Yeah, hmm. that's a very good question. Um, so, in terms of how I prepared, I I feel like my big my big thing from the get go was. There's no hiding here. There's no escaping mm-hmm. the fact that I'm not going to bullshit my way through this and pretend that I've done this because before because I haven't. Mm-hmm. And as I said from the first meeting, Diane wanted a, a list of links to all my films. And we, we had a very kind of clear conversation about that um, in the sense of, you know, this is a, you know, we're going to go on a bit of a journey together Um and I wanted to be really honest about where I was because I didn't want to feel the extra pressure of kind of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like my approach to it was to be sincere and meet them uh, to, to appreciate who they were and what they were bringing. And, you know, let's be real. I'm working with experts here. You know, I'm I'm getting to sort of work with people who've, done this a few times and did that translate across your whole crew like your cinematographer your production designer your in terms of who i chose to like did they all come from narrative or did you bring some people from your doc crew the main reason i couldn't bring people from my doc crew is because a lot of them were basically in england and we didn't have the budget so that was a the the main reasoning for that wasn't to do with the narrative doc thing it was the realities of of having to employ people from georgia because of the tax credit um but so i would have loved that actually um but i definitely um the people who i chose um i tried to be sensitive to my own background and 
I didn't want to disappear. Like I didn't want to, I know a couple of other people who've been documentary makers who've made the leap as it's known as um, <laughs> into narrative. Um, and I don't think it's that huge of a leap actually personally, but um, in terms of the realities of what you're doing, but the um, one thing that I kind of got from people was that if you kind of like lose yourself, you know, what you have is years of sure. t t telling stories like through a camera and um, that's very valuable. And um, I, you have to kind of put systems in place where you can sort of um, lean into what you do have and then where you don't have it. Mm -hmm you kind of ask for help or you, you're honest about it and you kind of look for support from those around you. So I think the balance that you're talking about maybe is how are you kind of honest about your inexperience in that sense, but also commanding, you know, this ensemble cast of like A-list mm -hmm. actors. And I honestly can't give you an answer to that because I think it's people either... I think you it's an instinctive thing and I think you either have it in you to be able to coordinate to, to be that person or not it's about knowing what you want right not that I didn't you know prepare and not that I did I I, I, I spent some time with a directing actors coach beforehand and I did my homework in that sense but I don't think anything can really prepare you for that moment when it's like the floor is yours and you've got kind of in the first thing we filmed was one of the scenes with all the eight women on the team. Mm -hmm. So you got like eight sets of eyes looking at you and the crew all standing there going, what are we doing? Like, where can, can we do a marking rehearsal? The crew is worse though, right? Yeah. Cause they're like, kind of like, just like, well, they rough, have time like... to judge you from behind, you know, <laughs> as opposed yeah. to like in, t in your I, face. I yeah. think that the atmosphere that from meeting them with a kind of honesty from the get go, but also being very clear that the story that I, I wanted to tell in terms of the sensibility overall. I, I kind of always wanted to be open, but at the same time, you know, to ideas and everything and it absolutely collaborative, but I definitely like had a strong sense of the kind of tone that I wanted to achieve with it. And I think that um, they responded to that. I mean, you'd have to ask them, I feel, because <laughs> I know genuinely, like I don't know, but I, I think that there's, um, a respect that's gained from like someone sure. who's not trying to be something that they're not. Yeah, if you're bullshitting, they if see you're bullshitting, that. Yeah. I think that's the worst thing. Yeah. I, I really do, and I think that there are all these myths about directors and the kind of cult of the kind of um, the director who saw the movie in their head and then they mm -hmm. and then it all played my out. Vision. Yeah. My vision, my vision. I hate yeah. the word vision more yeah. than anything. Actually, it's one of my biggest pet peeves. And, we've and, talked about <laughs> we've talked about that a lot because it's just. It's intimidating to the director more than anything. And everyone, it feels like stifling. I, yeah. I just like, why would anyone want to be, you know, you're an ac actor who's had 50 years of experience of, of life and acting. Right. And then you're coming on board with someone who's telling you that they've already got it all figured out and they know exactly. It, it feels it like the death crazy. of creativity to me. But it's also on a practical level, the director is always going to have the least amount of time on a set. Yeah. Always. You know what I mean? Like there's just the so many factors. There's so many factors and it takes so long to make a movie that like any day player is just going to be around the block many times over. Yeah, but I think that they're in, I think that that's where the... Unless you're a documentary filmmaker where you're where like... Where you've got time and, and, and my... Thousands of days on set. 
Well, here's the thing. So that was my my thing was how can I bring like sprinkles of like what it feels like to make a documentary to this crazy set? Two words, handheld. I did it. There's <laughs> whole kidding. scenes in this movie that are handheld, oh, which good. is extraordinary for for where for what it is. What comedies don't you can't do a can't comedy do handheld. handheld? What is this modern family? I managed, I managed yeah. to kind of sneak it in. Oh, good, good. What what are the others? Were you operating? No, I wasn't operating, though. But our DP was on on some of it. And I chose the DP as someone who has done, he is, you know, very, very, um, what they call a safe pair of hands, which I, I always think that's a, can be a compliment and also can seem a bit derogatory at the same time. But he he is really seasoned. He's done everything. He shot most of David Gordon Green's films. Oh, awesome. Oh, cool. But then he's also done, like, um, big studio comedies. Mm-hmm. Bit you know really well. David big. Gordon Green's done. He did Pineapple Express. He shot Tim shot Pineapple Express. He was perfect because to me he's just like very unique in that he has done docs. He still does docs occasionally. He he'll do a two million dollar film if he likes it, all handheld. But he'll also be employed to do kind of like uh, these Christmas family movies where he'll be you know and so he understands the kind of like he understood the kind of what we needed to do to satisfy the powers that be enough mm-hmm. <laughs> without so without freaking them out because if I'd come in and got like an, a gritty doc DP sure. there's just yeah. no way that would have fl- flown I've actually never heard that term before have you a safe pair of hands I wonder if it's British or if I, I just have never heard of it. Have you never heard that? Oh, that's... But I like I, I keep it. being I like told that, that all the time about everything. <laughs> yeah. Everything I've ever done, every producer has always wanted to pair me up with a safe pair of hands. Because, mm. uh, oh, wow. you know, there's a perception that Were you're you not a safe pair of hands. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, oh, we need to get you a super experienced editor because they're the safe pair of hands. What? Yeah. I wonder if it's a young female thing but th- there is definitely I like wonder if a, it's a British thing I've never heard that thing have you I hope I, I, I hope it's not that, that you're right actually no no I, yeah, honestly I think, like everything like, that what I've realized is like, like don't worry we'll get someone to take care completely of you. we'll yeah. get someone to look yeah. after you and take yeah. care of you unless It'll it's like okay. an old school thing no know. it's like a kind of you know you are you probably need some like looking after here so we'll get you a safe pair of hands yeah. and there's an a, 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 a kind of like this assumption that it can you can control someone through if you kind of sure. make sure that they work with certain types of people that right. you can kind of control them but I kind of feel like in order to that dance of like keeping those people happy and getting what you want is obviously the whole art form of being a director yeah. um it's getting the cast and the crew to like you at the same time yeah and, and the producers right and and meanwhile kind of keeping sh- making sure that you're fighting the battles that are really important and the ones that aren't yeah. you're kind of making sure that you um, gracefully kind of let them go. You just have to make sure to tell them, okay, you're going to win this something. one, but you're going to give <laughs> sure. them the next one. Well, um. I, I think though, again, it's like, I just think, you know, and a good idea can come from anywhere. Sure. And if the, sure. I'm sort of up for putting myself completely aside with all of that and just letting it f- flow. And going back to your question about what are the kind of, how do you, I mean, clearly, we were on a ridiculous schedule. We didn't what, how have many days much. Did you we, we had twenty-nine days. We lost one day to lightning. That's a whole other story. Oh boy! Yeah, yeah it was a night. Those but tax the, credits were worth it, though, right? <laughs> well, for, for someone they were. Um, but they—they they definitely. Diane tax credits, Keaton. <laughs> <laughs> oh my kidding. god! The Georgia thing is 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 a whole. Georgia in summer is not a place yeah. to to Ooh. comfortably shoot a movie with lots yeah, yeah. of exteriors, but um, it 
it's uh it was kind of like we were on a kind of relentless schedule of a lower budget film but with people who kind of operate at a level that is much higher so mm-hmm. all it felt like we had and everyone always says this and it always is the case of course you don't you feel like you don't have enough but it really we were so up against it in the sense of getting through the work and um we didn't have kind of the normal contingencies that you might need, have in in this sort of situation. So I'm not suggesting that kind of it was this free-for-all kind of thing. And obviously, because of my background in documentary, there was a kind of... The eyes were on me to make sure that I could actually pull off, you know, the day, getting the days in on time and, right. and that I wasn't going off-piste and kind of being free with the material but at the same time like I wanted some of that and Diane and this again is why she's such an important creative collaborator because she loves being free with scripts and material and kind of doing things differently and and trying things and um she doesn't like just like doing the same thing three times you know Mm -hmm. and so we found a way in which in certain scenes we could do we could be a bit more experimental and kind of like three cameras <laughs> it was two it definitely was two but no we 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 there are whole scenes in palms where like half of the stuff is was in the moment yeah which I mean, again look, hey, for comedy, that comedy it's fine right you know for that <laughs> but for that kind of film right is is quite unusual as well yeah. and that was obviously the producer's biggest fear is that i would make sure uh, that i was trying to kind of make they kept saying in a very derogatory way that's this isn't you know it's not some indie new york film that scene is kind of that was yeah. seen as the kind of anathema of what we were yeah, doing you're like have you seen manhattan <laughs> yeah right. but but i kind of I, I completely appreciate what they're saying in the sense of like we were trying to get a real balance and now it's being distributed very widely mm-hmm. because it feels like you know a certain type of film and I'm very grateful for that but I also wanted to make sure that I where I could like got got in you know the things that I thought would make it feel more organic or mm-hmm. would make it feel a bit more grounded well, and- let me ask you just to get super specific so I'm assuming when you're making your documentaries obviously you're being opportunistic but you have like a structure and you have a shot list yes of, right how did how did you make, did you make a shot list for this movie? How did- yeah, Tim was, Tim or the DP is really like the credit to him because he, what he had that I didn't have is he could honestly schedule in terms of the lighting setups and know actually how much time, because the big difference from what I've done before is actually not working with the actors and any of that. It's the amount of lighting weirdly and so that's you're used to like three or four lights oh yeah absolutely an available light and or like one interview setup that you're going to be at all day yeah and i'm i the interesting thing is my documentaries aren't kind of gritty and they're actually like the last three things i did i shot on the alexa anyway Mm -hmm. so it's not like i'm making kind of run and gun like handheld stuff i think the perception of like oh she's a documentary maker sure it it especially in the last few years of the things that have been kind of being made. And we've all seen that documentaries can be incredibly cinematic yeah. and, and have great production Drone values shots, right? and stuff. Oh, yes. Well, now that's become ridiculously overused. <laughs> now property TV shows have got drone shots sure. in the opening credits, haven't yeah. they? Well, that's, that, I think that's where drones come from, is real estate agents. <laughs> yeah, right. But uh, even American Vandal, you know, that Netflix show, which is like a mockumentary 
there's like so many drone shots in the second season and I couldn't tell if that was like part of the joke or not. No, it's definitely, I'm sure it's it is, definitely yeah. the joke. I'm sure it is because yeah. the question of how you then in a world where everything's 4K and you can get a drone really easily, what makes something cinematic is a fascinating sure. question. But um, but in terms of the the sort of shot, the, the process of how we how we came to write this shot list, the, the thing that I felt I lacked more than anything the thing that I was most worried about is that it was just because, you know, you're lighting eight women often in the same room and um, yeah, it's, a big cast, it's yeah. huge. Yeah. Like older, and they're it's, not 15 and, years old. And they're all different um, skin tones. You know, everybody's um, older, you know, and we want it to feel natural. I don't want and it to feel. And they're all, they've all been on so many sets where they could literally be like, be hey, the one. don't put that light there. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And they, I want them to feel comfortable, but I also don't want it to feel like a kind of glossy, fake, mm-hmm. heightened movie. So lighting eight women in a dance scene where they're all wearing exercise gear, um, they're all over the age of 60 or 65. Um, you've got people who have been on camera for mm-hmm. their whole life and um, you need to move through it quickly. And I don't want a situation where we have to have such strict marks that people can't move sure, in the shot. You just got to fix it all with visual effects. Well, we've bet, you know, what's amazing is what Tim achieved and his team. I, I really think I, I'm so pleased with that aspect of it because, but when we were shotlisting, he would be like, okay, Zara, like we need, you know, if you mm-hmm. want to get that and that, you know, that's a 50 minute changeover. Um, right, and right. I'd be like, 50 minutes what do you what do you, you and yeah, he's like just no, move being, the camera dude. <laughs> yeah. he's like no 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 like realistically though light. come on like i you know this is to do this changeover to flip from side to side that's and then so then that of course informs well how can we shoot this in a way that's efficient and keeps the mm-hmm. values that we want and you know that was a process but he was really good at kind of we would have us we'd have a an idea of what we wanted to do to cover. And the fact of the matter is when you're working on such a crazy schedule, you do end up, excuse me, when you're working on such a crazy schedule, you do end up chasing, getting through the work to have enough to edit. And that can be very depressing. Like yeah. changing lenses. Like we got this on the 25, let's do it on an 85. Yeah, or just like we need the reverse of that and we've only got time to do shot and reverse. Right. Like, I mean, like, right, sure. sometimes yeah. it was just so limited. It was And when so- you have eight, people yeah so so it will i'm not pretending that i think that we had the freedom here to and in the future i would you know it would be amazing to be able to have more time to actually construct but we wherever we could we tried to be as um as smart as we could to kind of get something that felt Mm-hmm. you know alive and alive exactly and, yeah, yeah. because it would be on the time in the time that we had you know it would the, the economics of it say shoot it like TV, basically. Right. That, and right. that's the sad truth of the matter. Sure. Did you use a lot of Steadicam or Dolly or Cranes or anything We like that? didn't. We, we used um, Steadicam in a few places, like for, especially for the dance, the finale, oh, right. obviously. For the two big dance performances, we, we used um, Cranes. But for the, um, for the most part, I this is the thing that I kind of we would be discussing how we would do a certain scene and it would be like, well, we could do, we could be like Dolly through the women here or we could be handheld. And I would often opt for the handheld option, mm-hmm. um, which I, I just, 
you know, when it works, I love the feel of it because you feel it as a human being there, and I like that. Yeah. Um, and and I think there are there are a couple of scenes in the film that I fe- I feel are where it feels most alive, and they are the scenes where we had the two operators mm-hmm. going around finding things with the you know yeah sure finding Sometimes. moments like lines and looks and things that you just you know you just there are some and that's when it feels real to me right you know. Right. Right. Yeah. Do you think there's any sort of relationship between handheld and comedy? Like, I, I guess a, a lot of times, I mean, some of the modern stuff, like the Veep and modern yeah. family and stuff is ha- very handheld. But I think traditionally, like, comedy has been shot very, like, yeah, cause you have static, to. wide. Yeah, because you, there's a physicality to it, right? That, and that's, the, that's where you've got to choose your moments because there is a, there's a physicality to some aspects of it where you just need to let the act, you need to see what they're doing and like actually you can be limiting it by being too in, in there and too intimate. Um, <clears throat> but I think with um, Palms, because I was trying to achieve something that felt like it, it's kind of got a heart to it mm-hmm. and um, it's not being marketed in that way necessarily, but... Um, to me, um, the the sort of there is an emotional storyline within it that <clears throat> that if you watch the movie, um, it hopefully comes out. And when it went in those moments that feel more intimate and more personal, that's when I kind of allowed us to go in there. Because I agree with you, like there is a reason that studio comedies have been shot in a, the same way, mm-hmm. and you just kind of there's a certain extent to which you have to kind of capitulate to that and be like okay, in the time and everything, you know, there's this works. Yeah. Um, Even if you go back to like Buster Keaton days. And absolutely. Stuff, uh, which I only know about because of that Video every frame of painting. Yeah. I think it's something about like the trickery of like what's going on and, and no, you don't need the camera to be tricking you as well. <laughs> like there's something about like you just need to know that like, okay, you know, that you need to know where you are and it just gives you a very safe place from which the performance can be the foreground. Or there's this very mostly not true idea, but helpful on occasion that if the people are moving, then you don't need to move the camera. And if the people aren't moving then it's nice to move the camera, Uh like, like one or the other, but when you have both things moving, it's like an action scene. I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it can become it can become too much, yeah. And I think also let, letting all of that stuff get in the way of like uh, the performance would be a mistake, you know. And I I've all, I always felt that. And it's not to say that in the future I don't have aspirations to make films that are more, um, you know, from a cinematography point of view, more kind of elaborate or whatever. But for this, I think you've got to know like what your value system is, exactly. And yeah. uh, with the with the thing that you're making, and and for you know, for me, it was like these women and looking at these women is my kind of front and center. You know, that's what I want to happen here. And mm-hmm. I actually think you know, doing anything that's too elaborate and kind of um, and directors love to talk about like you know how they design shot sequences and stuff, and those kind of things take up a lot of airtime on mm-hmm. on on kind of filmmakers talking about filmmaking but I, I think in the end it's like knowing what the what's your key asset here like what's this what are people going to be engaging with right. on a real level here um and trying to do everything you can to sort of help that and support that that's why tim was so interesting because he you know you know you don't win awards for like shooting commercial comedies sure. yeah and yet it's a real art form and um 
he has done like you know he did Z for Zachariah mm-hmm. so that's the movie you'd win an award for you right, know right. so it's but kind of, bouncing back and forth yeah so bouncing back I found yeah. that so interesting yeah. you know about him that's why I really loved him I thought this is a very unusual man yeah. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> I think shoot, shooting those really bright colorful saturated things is harder personally like um like you see a DP shoot with one light, you know, or like shooting something like children of men. I mean, it's beautiful and the camera design is like amazing, but from a lighting point of view, it's like, let's just backlight everything and let things play out in silhouette. And it's like, wow, that's amazing. But then when you're doing a comedy and they're like, Hey, we really want to see everyone's faces and everyone should look good and soft and we're going to move around here. And then they're going to fall down this off the roof of the house. And it all needs to be clear and visually engaging. And but all also don't it's, draw too much attention yeah, to yourself. Sure. Yeah. And that, and that's what's hard. A, a, a really hard. And that's why I kind of take my hat off in terms of the, the lighting particularly, because I think that to light for those kind of scenes and do it in a way that feels that doesn't mm-hmm. feel garish and kind right. of just over like everything's right. bl- just it's, overlit it's to not the Disney point. yes but it's natural but beautiful I think time. that is so hard to do as a skill yeah <laughs> is there anything that you wish you could change like looking back like what what advice would you give yourself uh, starting the movie interrogate the schedule more mm. yeah I, I really didn't um, because of this n- narrative that was being fed to me about this is your first narrative feature and we've got we've got this we know how to make movies in america with union crews and you just need to kind of come on this ride with us you know i slightly internalized that and actually you know if you're uh you're the person as the director who ultimately is the only consistent force from the beginning to the end right that's what i see is is your job and um, you can see if something, if there's a slow uh, car crash happening in front of you. <laughs> now, I think you can kind of look at the, you can interpret the um, the schedule and you can look at where there are going to be real issues and problems and where people are putting their head in the sand. Right. Especially if you talk to the heads of departments who have done this many, many times and know. And I kind of feel like um, I could have had more shooting time within the schedule if I had been more proactive mm-hmm. about questioning things earlier on. Um, you know, things like how much location scouting time do you have? Um, where are the locations in relation to... I mean, basic mm-hmm. stuff that really isn't sure. actually your job, right? Right, right? But it is because everything's your job in the end. Right. Well, and you also, on a gut level, know yeah. the, the movie better than anyone else. Right. right. And so sometimes you can like speed things up or slow things down or whatever Absolutely. it takes. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So, for example, like the first, when we were shooting the stuff in, in the, the dance scenes, I knew that what was in the script wasn't representative of what I wanted to be in the film. And because you can't write a dance scene, it hurt you like... They rehearse a few moves. Literally, that's the scene in the script. Uh, Martha, Diane's character, teaches them uh, this new move and they rehearse it. End of scene. Okay, so what is that? Is that half a day? Is that an hour? Is that, are there going to be lines that will be improv? Sure. You yeah. know, and, and you and, cho- I'm assuming you choreographed everything ahead of time, right? Well, we did. So we we worked with a choreographer and there was a boot camp for the women and they all kind of got together and learned the choreography. But what we did was we had to then, from knowing what the end dance was, I had to work with the choreographer to figure out 
what are they doing in all these dance scenes? Mm-hmm. Right, so it adds up to... Where it right. just says, you know, they practice a few moves. Literally, that was sure. the line in the script. So you... And I would... I would, I tried to kind of make it clear to the ADs that, uh, you know, how I wanted to do things, but there's, an, there's a kind of culture of if it is not literally in the script, mm-hmm. it will not happen. And yeah. that's the biggest thing I learned was like, next time I will, before prep, I will literally go and write every look from mm-hmm. every person to person in the script. Yeah. If I know that I want Cheryl to look at Martha across the table, I will add in as many of those things as possible because if it's in the script, they can't not schedule for it. Right, right. Yeah. But if it's not in the script, you've just got a fight on your hands. Yeah, yeah. Look like at the sixth of a page. What's the yes, deal? Yes, it's yeah. a sixth of a page. I, yeah. we, can, we don't, this is nothing, but this is the heart of this film, sure. you know. Yeah. For, in this case, it's a dance movie. So, And we got there in the end and it's not like, but I think I could have saved myself a lot of uh, arguments <laughs> and kind of... Um, if I'd kind of known more in advance about that. And I I kind of have got it in my head now for anything that I would write that would be getting close to production, I would go through the script with a fine tooth comb and literally put in every cutaway, every um, establishing shot, mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. Something that is like super annoying is when you're like exhausted and you have to shoot the next day and then the AD shows you a call sheet and they're like, can you just look at this and make sure it looks okay? And you, the instinct is always like, yeah, it looks fine, you know. Yeah, but, but like you really, if you stop no, you and you look to, at it, you yeah. have to. Yeah. And it's again, it's like you because it's such. I mean, I have such respect for ADs because how the hell do they do that? <laughs> right, like they've how, been on for a week like a and they need puzzle. to know everything yeah. you've known for four years. Yeah, but at the same time, like there are things that you just get lost in translation because they haven't known it. It's like, whoa, I didn't think we needed that character. In That's another example. A yeah. character who wasn't actually explicitly written into the sure. scene, but yeah. there was an assumption that, of course, they'd be there because they're part of that group, you know? Right, right. And then they weren't on the call sheet for that day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. of course, you, you hope that you'd go through all this stuff in prep and that, you know, and again, we did and we got through it all. But I think I could have saved a lot of time in prep by having done that work Just myself. hear the notes, decode it. Yeah, yeah. 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 So smart. Well, so how can people see Palms? Well, uh, if you're in the US, you can see Palms. It is being widely released on the 10th of May um, across in the US. Movie theaters. In movie theaters, yes. All, I mean, it's on wide release. They're going for the moms and daughter audience for Mother's Day. Awesome. That's oh, the kind of take your mom to, to see Palms. Mother's Day is May 10th. 10th. Uh, actually, May Sunday, May 12th, and they're May releasing 12th, it on right. the Friday. So Perfect. the hope is that, you know, if anyone's taking their mom or their grandmother to the cinema on that weekend they're going the to see new tk Palms. movie yeah exactly um so that that's the that's the hope but i honestly like and i've I kept saying this to them i've seen in test screenings that we've done the response of young men is really interesting oh really yeah yeah, yeah. and and i kind of really hope that some of those people find their way to the theater to see it it's clearly not the target audience like well, but men can guy. take their mom yeah, yeah well there's I the think. thing they and i think that in the test screenings what i saw with these guys in their 30s who got quite emotional i think they're thinking about their mothers sure yeah and i think that's really powerful but yeah the the big push is Moms and daughters. Uh, shall we endorse real quick? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Unpaid endorsements. Unpaid endorsements. So my endorsement, I'll kick it off. There's a short called Adman that's making the rounds right now. That's a, a, a rom-com 
uh, as told by a, uh, how, how would I describe it's it? Like a series of like ten to twelve commercials. Commercials, yeah. So like basically, this couple goes through this relationship. They have their meet cute. They like fall in love, all the stuff. But it's all as though it's formatted as a series of commercials about this couple. So it's really clever. It's really one person wrote and directed it, but they're as they look like commercials, and they're kind of a, across the board, like a variety of commercials. Yeah. So you just kind of you get these little slices of life of this couple's relationship evolving, but with like you know a tag here or there right. for like you know whatever product. Like it's a commercial for a moving company when they're moving houses. You know, yeah, it's a commercial yeah. for a phone company when like his mom is checking in on his relationship. But it's not actually a commercial. Not it's just formatted as correct. if it is. Yeah, oh, interesting. Yeah, it's really well done, and like all the casting, it's like the most working commercial actors in America. Like yeah. everyone, yeah, like, if oh, you yeah. watch commercials. I bought Oreos then, because of that guy one time. You oh, know? Wow. Yeah. Super fun. Very so, interesting. Admin. Yeah. Uh, that'll be in the show notes. Cool. You got anything? Uh, I have actually. Um, so, but I've only, I can endorse it in the sense of like, I've only known it for a few days, but I'm into it. So, um, I've just moved house and I'm going to be spending a lot more time in the car in LA, even more time than you normally spend, which is a lot of your life. And so podcasts are like a huge part of my life. Yeah, sure. And, um, but the, um, my friend told me about this app called Autumn. Do you know this? No. A-U-T-U-M? No, A-U-D-M, like Autumn, like Audible. And it's basically this partnership with like the, the New Yorker and the Atlantic and stuff and magazines for long form content um. where they get actors. It's not like a robot voice because there are some that transcribe it with a robot voice, which is impossible to listen to, um, I find. But this is like actual kind of voiceover actors reading the long form articles it's such a good idea and so like if you're in the car you can like listen to an atlantic article that's so and um if you watch look at the app as well you can also read along if you want to but my thing was when i'm always doing i mean the driving or i like i enjoy listening whatsome i'm Mm -hmm. doing and um I just think it's an amazing idea. And it's like, I'm doing a free trial at the moment, but it's like $7 a month to subscribe. Which, Will you it know, read like my Instagram feed for me while I'm driving? Possibly. Then, it's like picture of <laughs> avocado tips. Cute baby. <laughs> but yeah. I just think, you know, because all those long articles that you kind of mm-hmm. want to read, but realistically, you know, mm-hmm. modern life and... But no, and, it, and it's it like so a robot far, so voice? No, 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 it's not a oh, robot a voice. Person. This is the key thing. This is why I like it because I've tried those ones before where it's audio transcription, but it's basically just like a computer-generated voice, which is horrible to listen to. Right. No offense, Siri or Alexa. <laughs> this is, you know, this is a real human being who's, an, you know, a good reader, and it's really engaging. So that's my unpaid endorsement. Perfect. Autumn. Love it. That's cool. Orin, what you got, buddy? Uh... I got a quick unendorsement, which is uh, if you don't sit in the back row, if you watch a movie at the Cinerama Dome at the Arclight, it's like I watched Endgame there. It's like over three hours, and it's like the most claustrophobic feeling I've ever had. I'd rather be on like a Cessna (laughs) airplane, like flying for 100 hours. Um, My other thing, I think this is a re-endorsement, but I'm just going to re-endorse it because Game of Thrones was on last night, episode three, Battle of Winterfell. It was insanely dark. Like my wife and I could not see anything. People are anything. mad about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, on the, the TV, and we have 
it's not an amazing TV, but it's like a decent Samsung TV. And I was pausing it every 10 seconds, like playing with the brightness, the contrast, the background, like, and we just could not, it was an 82 minute battle uh, in the middle of the night and we just couldn't see anything. And I think the mistake we made is that we watched it like through the, the HBO Go app on my TV where we should have watched it on the HBO Go app on the Apple TV. Um, so this is a re-endorsement of the Apple TV, which everything <laughs> on it, like Netflix, anything you watch on your Apple TV. The compression is good. It looks yeah. way better than if you watch it in your smart TV or your Roku or Fire Stick or anything. Apple TV just huh. looks better and something I kind of didn't care about. But ever since last night, I care about it because yeah. it was like, I mean, you know, it's like the best our favorite show ever and it's like there's only three episodes left and now one of them we couldn't see anything so annoying anyway that's a good tip i didn't know anything um, about apple but i only know it because someone on their podcast told us about it um anyway uh well zara thanks so much for being on the podcast thank you guys you're a wealth of knowledge we wish we could talk to you about bangladesh and rwanda and you know well, now uh, that you're here, we'll have to have you come back. On the show. <laughs> yeah, I'll yeah, come back. I do have a lot of real Perlman uh, questions, but oh we'll, we'll get to that after the, after the episode. <laughs> um, for listeners who want to check out the movie, what's the best way to find Palms? I think go to palmsmovie.com or follow the hashtag palmsmovie, and palms. there's all kinds of stuff going on on Instagram. And what about you? Are you on Twitter? Or yeah, do you have a I'm website? on. I'm on Twitter at zar z a r hayes, um, and my Instagram is the same. And have you ever considered at Hey Zara? <laughs> I think it would be pretty good. Someone's already uh, taken it and it yeah. costs thousands of dollars to buy <laughs> yeah. it. Well, you should pay them. <laughs> um, well, cool. Well, if you want to find out more about the show. Uh, all the things we talked about. And all the things we talked about, go to justshootitpod.com. Uh, you can email us, justshootitpod at gmail.com. And we are on all the things. But I guess Facebook and Instagram are probably your best. But, and Twitter, at justshootitpod. Uh, I am on Twitter at SmiteyPileg and I am on Instagram at OKaplan. Uh, I'm at Mr. Madenlow on all social media. This episode was edited by Jay McAuliffe, produced by Madeline Rosewatt, and our webmaster is Ewan Williams. Uh, Leave us an iTunes review. And the music you're listening to right now is by the artist Jazar and provided by the Free Music Archive. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye.